0: Mira C.
1: The biggest thing to understand about it is when you're building a business, the core fundamental of your business is really about who is it that you're trying to serve. And social media is not the only way to reach those people. And so the presumption here is that while I need to be on social, not only to be relevant, but to reach my ideal audience, to make sales, that's not necessarily true.
0: Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. My name is Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console. The Coaches Console has supported more than 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating their own profitable coaching businesses. On this show, we explore difficult issues that coaches might be facing with their clients. And we also talk about difficult questions that we might be having with ourselves. Today, digital expert and business coach Bob Menhas and I are going to explore how to avoid addiction and burnout while using social media in your coaching business. This is an interesting but also tricky topic. Many of us use social media at least to some degree, and it may be hard to imagine our lives without it, but it can be problematic and has a way of eating up our valuable time. Bob is going to talk about how we can use social media more effectively and avoid its harmful effects. Bob Minhas builds experts. He built his first business to a quarter million dollars with no advertising. He spent 17 years building his own expert brand and teaching his clients the difference between being a business owner and an entrepreneur with authority in their field. Now he coaches entrepreneurs at Miracy. He's also the author of From Addict to Expert. Welcome, Bob.
1: Thank you, Melinda. I'm glad to be here.
0: It is so good for you to be here. And I know that we share the experience of having to rebuild ourselves from the ground up after life changing events. Would you mind sharing a little of that story with your background with our audience?
1: I'd love to. So I've had a few of them. So I'll share the, probably the most recent one, which is relevant to our, our chat today. I've had my own coaching business for a while. And more recently, with everything that's happened in the world during the last 20 months, My coaching business accelerated. In fact, I started getting a lot of larger ticket contracts through a lot of government agencies, and it was wonderful. It was flourishing. I had to build a team, and I had to sort of respond to what was needed. Well, you know, over time, what I really experienced was I started to become exhausted more often than normal. You can't imagine when you own your own business that you could suffer from burnout. The whole joy of being an entrepreneur is the freedom of time. So why would I be burning out if I can control my time? So I ended all my contracts and I decided to take a month off just to recharge. And then that month ended and I decided, "Ah, I think I need another month. Then that month turned into three and then into four. And then eventually I just didn't want to go back to my business. I just didn't want to go back to do anything. I think not only with burnout, there was a level of depression there that sort of came along with this, who am I and who do I want to be? So it was this entire catalyst of challenging my identity. So I sort of sit at this point where I'm trying to decide what it is that I want to do. I was really, really blessed, really lucky that a dear friend of mine who I often chat with, you all know her as Miracy Mary, made some time with me and and shared with me sort of her experiences and, and had actually said, hey, Miracy has a couple of openings for coaches. It might be a lot easier to work with a team that's established and experienced as opposed to figuring it out on your own. And throughout that whole time, taking that time off was... Really staying away from social media, really discovering that, did I really need social media not only for my business? Did I really need it to validate that I was good at what I did? So I sort of sit here now making a comeback. And this podcast is very timely because I'm in this place of thinking, what am I going to do now? What do I want to do? And how do I want to approach not only my life, but the business that I want to actually have?
0: Those are powerful questions. And I love how you said the joy of being an entrepreneur is the freedom of time. And it's that double-edged sword, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. what it's all about. That's why so many of us love it and want to create that kind of lifestyle for ourselves. And in order to have the freedom of time, there's a lot that we have to do in our businesses. So Mm -hmm. many things behind the scenes. And so I can relate to your burnout. I don't know that I've hit that burnout, like what you were describing, or a girlfriend of mine, she had to take a year sabbatical because she just Mm -hmm. got, I mean, her health tanked. But I know what that exhaustion is like. And and we have to really be mindful. And I love those questions that you asked. And we're going to get into the topic of social media uh, here in just a minute. But I want to get a bit more personal here. Mm -hmm. In another episode, I talked with a coach who focuses on Entrepreneurs who are neurodivergent, who have ADHD. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned prior to this episode, the recording of this episode, that you have Tourette's and ADHD. Could you explain what that's like, if you don't mind?
1: Not at all. I do. I I discovered my neurodiversity much later in life. In fact, I discovered it only about six or seven months ago when this whole process of MI burnout started to come to light. So You know, I think when a lot of people hear the idea of Tourette's, there's this presumption of what you see in the media. And as you can tell as I'm talking to you, it's not to the level of what some of my other colleagues experience in this realm. And the ADHD is what we call a comorbidity of of Tourette's, meaning it's a complement of it, if you will. And when I sort of came to this conclusion of, you know, am am I burning out? Part of that discovery was I'm burning out because I'm trying to be a coach doing this business operating in a world of social media with a neurodiverse brain trying to be neurotypical. So it was a lot of factors at odds. So I'm really blessed to live the life I have because I am not as impacted as many other of those I know with Tourette's are. I am impacted, though, by neurodiversity, meaning I had to reset a lot of not only my habits and how I lived my life, but also my expectations on life and understanding who I am and what I do. So I'd love to say I'm through it. But I have to be honest Melinda is that it's an evolution I'm in the process of currently
0: and I would imagine that that process is always ongoing it's never ending it's something that uh, I would imagine you always have to be mindful of paying attention to
1: you're absolutely right because you know from even a personal development point of view we never really should stop growing so it's not me simply saying I need to learn how to live with ADHD it's me saying not only can I learn to live with it how do I learn to Augmented, how do I use it as the superpower that everyone says it should be? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it is it's it's a constant evolution in development not only in of myself but in how I approach life because here's the other thing about being neurodivergent. A lot of people will sometimes, and I've had this experience confuse a d h d or what neurodivergency is with past patterns and trauma, so it's also really important to be clear and aware of what is causing the difficulty that I'm experiencing as a neurodivergent? Is it simply the way my brain operates? Or is it simply past trauma that I'm using ADHD to excuse?
0: Now, you've also mentioned that you have a social media addiction, right? That was how you described it when we were preparing for this. How does social media affect a person that has ADHD?
1: Oh, gosh. So, you know, I have been a digital consultant for, I think, since social media really came about. And all those years of not being aware of my neurodivergency, social media was sort of my best friend. It really kept me feeling relevant. So now, just to dig in deeper into that, social media is a platform. And when I say social media, Melinda, I'm not pointing my finger at any particular platform, rather, sort of the concept of what social media is. The idea here is that social media is designed on the same premise as what. Other institutions might use for gambling addiction. The idea that we constantly get dopamine hits because of an experience, whether it's a video, an engagement on our post, any of those things sort of make it relevant. So, you know, as a neurotypical, you're getting these dopamine hits. That's wonderful. But as a neurodivergent who is starving for dopamine hits on a much more regular basis, social media can literally take over your life. It's everything that we desire. It's rare that we see until probably more recently, all of the bad sides. It's a highlight reel. And so it's this tool that's readily available at any technology platform, desktop, iPad, phone, whatever it might be, that's constantly validating and hitting our dopamine. It's constantly giving us that desire of, I'm gonna not to sound crass, but it's a hit. It's no different Mm -hmm. than a hit of a narcotic. It's constantly giving us that. We can't replicate that in the real world. Most neurodivergents I know can't replicate that in the real world. Uh, They can't replicate it as easily and they can't access it as easily. So social media is literally our narcotic. So that was the hardest part of being an entrepreneur and especially a coach that specialized in digital media. How do you draw that line between what am I doing on social for my business and what am I doing simply because I lack the coping mechanisms to live without those dopamine hits?
0: Well, and it's true for I don't want to discount those that have ADHD. It's a different experience, but even those that don't, all those things that you said, keeping you feeling relevant, constant dopamine hits, uh, validating, and it's done in a way that's socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, well, I'm doing it for my business, so it's an okay thing to do. It's not like I'm doing a drug. Like there's (laughs) those kind of comments that we can tell ourselves to rationalize and justify and continue to be blind on how the impact is having on us personally in our relationships and our business.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, when I talk about this addiction, you know, it really was a more recent discovery. But when I started thinking about my history working in my corporate career, in my government career, when I think about my history in previous relationships, I started finding that same pattern that I was choosing social media over being focused at work, well, focused is a challenge for ADHD, but being present at work. I was using social media over relationships. I was making decisions, business decisions and relationship decisions on what I saw on social media, which if you think about it, Melinda, you can't verify the data that's on social media to be accurate all the time. The best example I have, Melinda, is it's as if you're using gossip for your market research. That's really what it is to live with a social media addiction.
0: One of the things that I talk about with social media is I liken it to, you know, if we were in theater, right, there's the front of the house, what people see, then there's back of the house, what's going on to put on the production. And one of the dangerous things about social media is so often people will compare somebody else's front of the house with our back of the house. And it is two totally different things. And then, like you said, then we start making decisions and then assumptions. And it can get blown out of proportion really quickly if we don't keep that in check.
1: You are absolutely right. And I think the hardest part as well is, again, as I said earlier, not only are we living our life in this fashion, whether neurodivergent or neurotypical, but these platforms and the way they operate also have that ability to reactivate or trigger patterns and traumas as well. So now... You know, as a neurodivergent person, I'm dealing with this way my brain operates on top of childhood traumas or past relationships. And it's as if I have this really, really tight, overblown knot that I'm trying to undo. In reality, I'm just going to say, you know what? It's just a knot. I'm sure it's fine. And, you know, that addiction, it's easier for me to talk about now because now I have the awareness of all of the ways it impacted my life and also, of course, my business. Being a digital consultant, you're on social media pretty much twenty four seven.
0: Now, let me ask you about that because it is easy to believe that social media is a must for service based businesses, right? I mean, that was your business. Yeah. Otherwise, people may not find us. What is your view on that? Can you expand on that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So you know, the interesting thing about digital in general, well, not just social media, but let's you know consider uh, email and and SEO and et cetera. The biggest thing to understand about it is. When you're building a business, the core fundamental of your business is really about who is it that you're trying to serve. And social media is not the only way to reach those people. And so the presumption here is that while I need to be on social not only to be relevant, but to reach my ideal audience, to make sales, that's not necessarily true. This leave that I've done on social media... I have had the most amazing experiences in Miracy with students who don't even use social media. In fact, they've said, Bob, I think I need to be on social media. And when we really look at their business, they really don't need to be. So it's super interesting to me to discover that social media is not the end all and be all. It is not the only way for people to find you. It is not the only way to build visibility in what you do. And in fact, it is not the quickest path to success for a six-figure business, for this idea of being viral.
0: I know in one of the workshops that I teach, I teach eight different strategies, one of which is social media. But there are seven others, and even many more than that, that are equally as effective. And a lot of times when I talk with our startup coaches that are going through our programs, and they say, you know, I've got to be on social media or I won't be found, there's other deeper fears that are going on. You know, and so for our listeners, if you yourself are saying that, That's something that you can work with your coach on. What's the underlying fear that's happening that's driving that assumption? And if you have clients that are experiencing this, it's a place of exploration and coaching because it's not about the social media. It's not about the marketing. What's really holding them back? What do they really fear or are uncertain about? So there's a great coaching opportunity there for sure.
1: You are absolutely right. And I just want to add to that as well. There's that type of student and client And then there's those that say, I need to be on social media, but I don't want to be. I'm terrified of it. I don't want to be on video. You know, some coaches who maybe English isn't their first language. They're in this horrible circle, Melinda, where they're saying, I need to be on social, but I can't use social because I'm afraid. So you're absolutely right. There's an underlying fear, but there's also this idea of presentability and visibility. I can't be on social because for some reason I don't think I present well, which in my experience is often not accurate. It's often someone somewhere has told them they're not good at it, and it's simply a lie.
0: Now, you're considered to be an expert on social media, and you coach entrepreneurs to use it in their business. What's the problem or problems with social media that you see for coaches beyond what we've already talked about?
1: Well, I think one of the key factors to understand is really making social media a tool as opposed to an end-all, be-all. That distinction is important because then what you want to do is have a really crafted, curated plan of how you're using social media. And when you have a curated, crafted plan, it allows you to avoid the black hole, the sinkhole, the idea that you need to be on there all the time, you need to be constantly promoting because there's this belief that the algorithms want, and rightfully so, the algorithms want you on that platform consistently. But if you can cultivate or curate A strategy that allows you not only not to have to be on that platform 24-7, but perhaps bring in a team member to sort of carry that for you. That allows you to avoid sort of that big challenge, that big sort of getting caught in that black hole. You know, it's, it's more purposeful, if you will, as a lead generation strategy.
0: I love that. Then you take it from being a problem and now it's purposeful. It has an intention with boundaries and clarity so that you know how to work it. You can delegate it or you can do it, but there's clarity in that.
1: You're absolutely right. You know, again, treating it like a tool. Can you imagine someone being addicted to bookkeeping?
0: Okay. No,
1: <laughs> you know, not we, at we, all. <laughs> we, we really, really should be treating it as akin to doing your bookkeeping or akin to doing your CRM updates, right? Social media really is that tool for your business, as opposed to, again, being some level of validation for you.
0: Now, you've mentioned it a couple of times. You said that when you started to work at Miracy, you shut down all of your social media accounts. Why is that?
1: So, just to clarify, I took a break, meaning I simply posted on my platforms. I'm on a break. And the reason why I wanted to do that was in the moment, I knew that completely giving up social media wasn't the answer. But at the same time, I also knew that I had to draw a boundary. But because of my predisposition with ADHD and neurodiversity, addiction is, it comes easier to those with ADHD because we're constantly looking for that dopamine. So, what I wanted to do was, I wanted to set it up so that I didn't have a reason to visit those platforms. I removed all notifications. I put a post that says on sabbatical. I went into the direct messages of any outstanding messages and said, I am no longer replying to messages here. Please email me. I even set up an email autoresponder that says, I'm working on an amazing project. So, I will take seven days to reply to you. (laughs) But I really put those hard boundaries in place. And the first week, of not going onto to social was hard because I kept reaching for my phone. And then I would catch myself saying, what are you going to do? You're reaching for your phone for what? Because no one's waiting for you. There's no one you need to meet on social. What are you waiting for? That first week was literally a detox. I had to find other activities to sort of find that perhaps healthier way of achieving that dopamine. And I had to keep myself in a position of being present and being aware of, oh, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And I was very, you know, I was very blessed, Melinda, to have not only built a business that allowed me to take that sabbatical financially, but to have my real estate investment and and still have that income coming in. And then, of course, finding Miracy. So, you know, then I realized I didn't have to be on social to survive.
0: Right there is a write-downable. I didn't have to be on social to survive.
1: No, no. Being a coach at Miracy and, and having my real estate investment doesn't require me to post on Instagram. It doesn't require me to make a TikTok dance video. It doesn't require me to put a LinkedIn status update. It just, it didn't require that. So I had to make that hard boundary while at the same time being very smart about, well, I'm not going to delete everything because I've worked over the last 12 years building this following. I simply am going to take a break from it, come back with much more purpose and redevelop engagement that's geared towards my business and not toward dopamine hits and validating who I am.
0: And speaking of boundaries, I know for me, that was one experience that I had years ago, I had my own personal Facebook account. I had uh, several groups on Facebook for our general audience and for this program and for that program. And at the time, when I asked myself the question, you know, how can I serve my audience? How can I serve my clients? Social media was part of that answer, but it was an intentional plan, an intentional strategy. And that created boundaries to say, it's not just this never-ending thing that I always have to be doing. It was very intentional. But then I also had to set boundaries for myself. And I just want to share some of the things that worked for me, may not work for some of our listeners, might be helpful. But I had to say, I'm only going to be on Facebook X time of day. So I earmarked a certain amount of time in the morning and a certain amount of time before I left my office. And then I only said for this amount of time, on those two occasions. That's all I'm gonna spend. Whatever I can do in that time frame, that's what I'm going to do. And that was a big game changer for me. And then the other thing that was a game changer for me, talk about dopamine hits. I think this is the opposite of dopamine hits, but when I would pick up my, like I've got my iPhone right in front of me, and you know, on Facebook Messenger or Facebook, I would have those red badges that say you have 10 notifications or you've got 10, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to go. And then I would panic, And so I had a friend tell me, Melinda, you're in charge of this. Go turn off those red badges. I was like, oh. And then as soon as I turned off those red badges, I immediately got out of reactionary, freak out, I'm going to let people down mode. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm serving my people. Let me do this so I can show up in the best way possible. I'm not distracted or multitasking. I can be present. And then I did it in the morning and in the afternoon for a certain amount of time. And then I just could relax and I didn't have that panic energy about myself.
1: Yeah. You know, it's super interesting. There are a multitude of ways of doing that. So disabling notifications, I initially tried, Melinda, But then I still had the whole inner voice saying, what are you missing? What are you missing? So it was a component of FOMO. What are you missing? What are you missing? And so I had to take a harder stance. But I think a great start. You're absolutely right. Let's disable those notifications for sure. And set the expectation with your client base and your community and let them know exactly what you did, Melinda, that this is how I work now and you will get the best of me because of that. That's a brilliant, brilliant way of doing it. I love it.
0: Now. What do you do if you hear your clients say that they feel overwhelmed by social media?
1: That's a really, really great question. You know, the idea around overwhelm comes from the thing that we're trying to do too much of. And especially with a neurodiverse individual, overwhelm comes very, very easily to us. So the first thing we do is we really look at what they're currently doing, because before we implement a change, we actually want to make sure that what they're doing is even fruitful. So again, what I had said earlier, maybe they don't even need to be on social media. But if they do, let's look at what activities they're executing and the kind of time they're spending. And then once we see what they're currently doing, We then look at, okay, so what is your strategy? And if not, let's develop a strategy. And then we marry the two things. So this is what you're currently doing. This is what your strategy is or should be. How do we now simply execute what's going to be relevant to your strategy and cut the rest? And every single time I've done that, especially in the last six or seven months, it's amazing how the overwhelm dissipates. It's amazing. It literally is overnight for some people.
0: And... How do you help them with that process? Because, you know, what you just outlined, that sounds pretty simple. Review what you're currently doing. What's the strategy that you're using or should be? Execute it. Cut the rest. But I have a feeling it's way easier said than done. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you're not wrong. That process can take some time because when you're reviewing what you're doing, you're essentially doing um, an audit if you will. And that audit can be over the past week, two weeks, month. So that process alone and being fully aware and reflective and making sure you're taking notes, that process can take some time. And then when it comes to what what is your strategy, you're developing your strategy, that process is really about okay, so what is your vision? What is your goal? What are you trying to achieve? And then let's really create a strategy that's purposeful for that. As opposed to what you think you need to be doing on social media. So that also can take some time because it requires reflection, requires looking at your books, which can sometimes be humbling, <laughs> right? You know, daunting. it, it requires <laughs> daunting, right? It requires a lot of other processes that in the moment can feel overwhelming. And you really need to take those baby steps and process it. So it it, it can be overnight, but it can also take, you know, days or even weeks to move through that. So now you've audited your time on social, you've really looked at what you've done, you've looked at what's the ROI been on that, that return on investment on your time. Then you've looked at, okay, so what is my goal? What am I trying to achieve? And what strategy do I need on social media to be a part of that? And then when you compare the two and you see the gaps, actually implementing that strategy and cutting the gaps can also take time because again, social media relies on the fact that we have habits. And changing habits can be a daunting process in of itself. So to eliminate overwhelm, you almost have to do micro steps of overwhelm to move through. And then when you've gotten to that place where you now have a purposeful strategy and that you're executing on, you know that overwhelm dissipates over time. So you're investing a little bit of overwhelm in the beginning to eliminate complete overwhelm in the long run.
0: Now how do you define that healthy balance between social media management and the addiction that is so? easily can happen. Like, what does that healthy balance look like?
1: Yeah, that's another great question. Because again, we're all different people with different life experiences. And I think what it comes down to is simply looking at what is the impact social media is having on your life. It's simply an awareness activity. My goal, again, is to really just have an awareness. What impact is it having? Whether positive or whether negative negative. and if the negative impact is such that it's impeding your ability to hit your goals as a coach from a business perspective or it's impeding your ability to be happy, what other choice do you have than not to resolve that right? I mean you know those are questions you need to ask yourself um, but at the end of the day we all have sort of different variations of how we feel and experience life. so that's my my answer to that question be aware what is the negative and positive impact? and really what can you remove what can you do to remove the negative sides and really that's it
0: love it and would you say that we need a coach to help us get out of the overwhelm of social media or can we follow you know what you've shared with us today and succeed on our own
1: i think all of us should make the space to attempt it on our own at first but i will be honest with you melinda in some of us especially in the neurodivergent community the addiction is strong. It's no different than, and this might be a little bit controversial, but it's to me, it's no different than a narcotics and alcohol or gambling addiction. There are reasons why those communities have support systems and support networks. So I would encourage someone to take the awareness activity on their own. I would encourage someone to talk to a coach, whether life or business, to say, hey, I've got this social media challenge that I'm experiencing. And I would understand that a part of healing as I did was you need to have a community, whether it's a coach, a mentor, people who are like-minded. I didn't do this alone. So to answer your question, I would encourage them to do it on their own. I would encourage them, though, that a coach, a a mentor, some level of support is key for them to find more long-term results.
0: And as coaches, it's important to just have on our radar, whether you're coaching whatever your niche is, for all of our listeners listening in, If you're coaching entrepreneurs, business owners, where they're using it as a tool in their business to help accomplish their goals or whatever your niche is, I think it's just a good thing to keep on our radar to check in. Is this a distraction for my client? Is this serving my client? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but just to have on our radar to explore if there's a need, if you see something come up, because again, I think that's a responsibility as a coach is to reflect what we're noticing that they may not even be aware of and just opening the conversation. Is it something to explore? Maybe not. And then we keep going. Now, I want to summarize some of the things that we've talked about today because we've covered some amazing stuff about this topic. And I love how you frame it up as a social media addiction, right? And whether whether you have ADHD or not, or somewhere in between, The platforms that are out there, they're designed to help us keep feeling relevant, to validate what we're doing, to give us that dopamine hit over and over and over. And so it's a natural built-in part of the process that we're going to keep going back to. So we have to be really mindful about this, how we use it in our business, how we use it in our lives and be honest with ourselves. Right. And I love when you said social media, it's not the only way to reach people. Don't have to be the end all be all. It's just one way. And being smart as a business owner, what are your goals? What strategies will help you get there? And then creating that plan and delegating it, even if you maybe you do it yourself or maybe you delegate it. But now at least you have the opportunity to delegate it, but do so with boundaries, creating those boundaries. And I love the audit that you take people through where What are you currently doing? What's the ROI on that? Is that working? Have you stopped and paused to ask, is that working? What's the ROI on what you're currently doing? And then what are your goals and what's the strategy to help you get those goals? Execute what's relevant, leave out the rest. I love how simple those micro steps are. And we share that common belief that we can't do this alone, whether it's ourselves and our own businesses or your clients. We have to connect with others to help us navigate this so that we can see our blind spots uh, on this kind of topic. Bob, do you have any other parting words that you want to share?
1: You know, we've shared a lot. I love chatting with you, Melinda. I, I want to leave the audience with something to consider. And that is that it's interesting to me that we have support groups for almost every type of addiction. But if you were to Google social media addiction, at least here in Canada there really isn't a lot. So I would encourage any coach or any mentor professional to consider how do we start creating more support networks uh, to help our client base with this challenge that's just going to get worse.
0: Thank you so much for that. And thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Bob Minhas for this fascinating and much needed conversation. You can find out more about him at www.bobminhas.ca, that's B-O-B-M-I-N-H-A-S dot C-A. Bob, thank you so much for coming to the show.
1: Thank you, Melinda.
0: I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Miracy FM network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab, Making It, and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance and Cynthia. Mishi assembled the episode and Danny Eni is our executive producer. If you don't want to miss future episodes, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. And if you have a question for Just Between Coaches, put the show title in the subject line and send it to podcasts at That's podcasts, plural, at Mirasee, M-I-R-A-S-E-E dot com.